0: Mmm.
1: People and Welcome to Cat's Corner of the Podcast. I am your host, Mr. Cat-Cat Okide and I have some amazing guests for this episode. Yes, we are talking Wakanda forever. Yes, we are talking Black Panther, creativity, critique. And yes, this is a place, this is a home of people who love Black Panther, so you're not going to hear too much bashing, although I'm sure that there are some valid things to be said. With that, I want to introduce the illustrious aunties and uncles that will be taking us through this conversation these are very close friends of mine. Some you know, some you don't. So I'm going to start with the only brother in the room and let him do his thing. The good Bushhead Ed. Oh, hey. Greetings. Welcome to the show.
0: What's up? How are
1: you? I'm good. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So Eddie is a comic book master connoisseur. He knows these things. And I was like, <laughs> we need to have somebody who's not just excited about the movie because we just love seeing beautiful black people on the screen. He actually has the depth of knowledge to talk us through some of the things that we might not understand oh, so gosh, thank you I hope so yeah you do You're i've seen your studio you absolutely do i have complete faith in you hey, um coming see. up again with the other you know my other auntie my auntie sisters that run the world is the good elise perry she is back hello darling yeah. in, we're in her studio this is why that sound is so crisp and clean i'm very excited to be back in the studio
2: crisp and clean no caffeine
1: oh goodness no caffeine. yeah it's gonna be shenanigans y'all <laughs> just get ready and finally, rounding it out, is my bestie, the woman with the unpopular opinion that you don't want to hear, but it's probably something you need to hear, that girl that tells you the truth, the mystic genius herself, Evelyn Bando. Hello. You see? And you can tell that she's about to drop heat because she just gives you, hello. That's just to warm you up. She's going to get spicy later, I promise. It's so be a problem. It's going to be a problem. <laughs> we were talking about a certain spicy earlier. All right, so... One of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation is I've seen the movie once. I will probably go spend more money and see it again several times. But part of the thing that I've been discussing in terms of how we think about creativity is the contribution to the larger narrative. There's lots of thing pieces out there. I've read a few. Most of them I've just decided to ignore because to be honest with you, I just want to enjoy what this is. So before we jump into like the
0: nuts and bolts, what did you all think of the movie? And I'm going to start with you. Um, I loved it. There's. Lots of conversation about how you move on without Chadwick. Right. Impossible choices had to be made in order to make this thing go. I, I love where they went with it. I will admit that I was probably team recast T'Challa.
1: Okay. We're going to talk um, about
0: that. Uh, initially, but I, I understand the logic a lot more. There's um some other content out there, uh, specifically like the Marvel podcast, Tanahasi Coates talking to uh, Ryan Kugler where he breaks down some of that thinking and that process in a way that makes sense to me. So uh, I'll take that and say, you know what? It was probably not practical for them to really try to recast it. He was too much of a impact and driver in what Wakanda and Black Panther was, is, so you can't just replace him. Right. So I think considering that decision being made, they did an amazing job with it.
1: All right. Elise. Ah, uh, well,
2: I got to say that as somebody who was not really a comic book person right, and saw the first movie for what it was and enjoyed it, this second movie was different and I thought it was better. It just felt like a good movie, mm. a good sci-fi movie, a good movie that was Afrofuturism and at its best to me. So I'm not completely invested in the deep conversations about it i think i'm more invested in the fact that that joint was good it's a good flick yeah Yeah. it's a good flick yeah Yeah.
3: evelyn yeah i think when did we go see it a week ago a couple of weeks ago you know myself also not being a big comic head but being familiar with the story You know, I didn't give too much thought to it until I went to go see it. I wasn't too much in the conversation about whether they're going to recast or not recast. And I just remember watching the movie like, this is just a good movie in in my purview. Um, This is just some incredible art making. This is you know, I got water phobia. So the fact that people are filming <laughs> in water and, you know, I mean, I saw this reel with Lupita talking about how I trained. How I train. Listen, everybody's like, going to be training And then I was like, well, maybe I need to also do that
0: <laughs> to heal
3: my phobias with being in deep water with yeah. weights and holding my breath. And being an empath and, and just feeling beyond things or whatever and someone who observes things probably more deeper than I need to. You know, it also occurred to me like, this can just be entertainment, right? It doesn't have to be some massive statement about the state of the world and hearing some of the the people's criticism. I understand the place where it comes, because if you compare, you know, the first movie and the second, the first movie was this empowering type of thing where, you know, Wakanda is this nation that is un- untouched, that is... You know, not today, colonizers, right? It gave all these one-lighters that empowered folks, apparently. Right. And then in this particular movie, I think there's levels, you know, that people aren't comfortable with. One, you're not getting the zingers, you know, that there isn't a a focused enemy that we all know, right? Mm -hmm. There's this uncomfortable tension. And then it's also dealing with some very uncomfortable things, which is grief and Mm -hmm. collective grief and trauma. And in the real world, you know, we're not even having conversations about our own collective grief and trauma that we're dealing with. So I think people are probably triggered in ways they don't understand and can't put words to. And then people are just doing too much. It's, it was a well done movie. You take all the bullshit out of it. And it was just a well done movie, in right. my view.
1: Right. Okay. And I should say, and we'll put this in the description, there will be spoilers, so if you have not seen the movie, mm-hmm. I'm going to warn you now to not continue from this point on. So as a creative, as a Black creative, the thing that I completely love about what is happening with this, and as someone who's been watching the Marvel movie, these, in a real, like, I'm committed to them, I'm not going to lie. I did not like Galaxy of the Guardians. I still don't get them. But in terms of they watching the other her. things, the first time you see uh, Black Panther is in... Winter Soldier, right? Or um, was it Civil War? Civil, War, Civil, Civil War. War. In Civil War. And the way that we see Chadwick show up in that is so incredibly powerful that it's, it's just undeniable that, okay, whatever y'all do with this, you're going to have to bring the heat. Because there's no way you can have this brother jumping from places and doing all these things. And, you know, it was just an amazing display. And someone that, that you could tell had really thought very clearly about what Black Panther was going to be about. In the description, I'm also going to put a link to a podcast that Ed mentioned at the top of the show. If you go back and you listen to that first episode uh, for Wakanda Forever, Ta-Nehisi Coates is the host. It is really important that you listen to what Ryan Coogler is saying, because one of the things he reveals is how integral Chadwick Boseman was, not only to the character, but to the world that we eventually get in the first Black Panther. And so as a Black creative, I just love the fact that there is something very unapologetic in Ryan Coogler's approach. He's Oakland. Mm -hmm. He don't code switch when he talks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Accent is thick.
1: Accent is thick. (laughs) He tells you this is what I'm doing It's right. I mean, he Mm -hmm. gives it to you. And we need that kind of transparency in the space. And it also makes me wonder, like when you all, because you're all creatives in your own way. Critique is a very harsh thing. It can be a really stressful thing as a creative in terms of what do I put out there? How much do I share? How much do I keep to myself? You know, when I create this thing, do I really want everybody to see it? Because then I have to hear everybody's comments. And so I wonder for you as creatives, what a project like this does for you? Because I don't mm-hmm. think I'm the only one that's part of what's moving me is not just the movie. It's that this is Black creativity on a massive scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it's hundreds of millions of dollars into mm-hmm. it. And uh, it's backed by Disney. Yeah. Like, uh, it Disney money going into this Black creativity. Right. And... It's amazing to see that level of investment and really that level of creative freedom. Like, okay, what are we going to do? Like, even the conversation about what are we going to do about the T'Challa situation? Mm -hmm. I think it's like my big overarching thing that I'm kind of stuck on is if you follow the MCU line and the storyline, if we're following from Avengers Endgame, Mm -hmm. T'Challa and Shuri both have both been gone by five years at this point. Right. And they suddenly return and now T'Challa is gone again. Right. Even just being able to write that and say like, yo, we just, we literally just killed this guy for right. five years. We really just you know everybody in the world is dealing with these returned folks. Right. And instead of just trying to keep it going, it's like, no, nope, you know what? We're going to acknowledge what happened in the real world mm-hmm. and we're going to write him out again. Right. I think that takes, you know, a lot of conversation in order for that to happen. Right. I think it takes a lot of thought to make that happen. And for them to just green light and say, you know what? I'm totally with you on it. Go do your thing. Let's get it. At
1: least you had, you were nodding when I was talking about that space. That movie just looked so good. Mm -hmm. It looked like
2: it's like everybody bought in. Mm -hmm. Uh, The idea was good. Everybody bought in from the jump. And because of it, it looked amazing. And for me, what I felt is that there was nothing that I wanted to miss. Uh, I saw it from, the very beginning when they honored T'Challa and what it made me feel like is that, gosh, you know, when you give people the space to just create and do what they want, they really can come up with some great storylines, some great looks. I had never seen the whole underwater Atlantis thing in a while. I mean, there are plenty of movies out here that talk about living underwater, having uh, underwater worlds, but it reconnected me to my desire for reading and uh, taking in science fiction movies. I used to be a real buff when I was yeah. younger and I got in it. I mean, I hadn't seen, honestly, black people move beyond Matrix looks. Mm. So remember how the Matrix looked? Right. Mm-hmm. And remember, I forget the movie where they were moving things around the first time, uh, just moving.
0: The matrix series was. It wasn't a like, matrix. You
2: talking it about was a,
1: like, like Minority Report or
0: something? Minority yeah. Report. Uh, yeah. They
2: were moving things around right. in Minority Report and the Matrix had its look. I mean, I had never seen stuff that was that cool that was for black people. Mm-hmm. And for me, it made me want to expand my ideas. Yeah. You know, I have big ideas anyway, mm-hmm. but I hadn't thought about doing anything and increasing anything when it comes to uh, moving beyond just what we can easily see. Right. So I just feel like anything like that makes me want to do bigger things. It makes me want to create bigger, uh, think bigger and see how I can bring it to any kind of screen. Right. Mm -hmm. How can I create an an experience for people? Can they touch it? Can they feel it? Can they smell it? That's what i like. I, I liked about it. It just made me want to do things. It's honestly, and I know it's different, but it's the same thing. I feel every time I watch queen sugar, Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. In what way? Queen Sugar, it makes me want to show how humans feel. I mean, we always see somebody who looks beautiful. We always see somebody who does something cool. But Queen Sugar, from the very beginning, it looked warm. Everything had a landscape. Right. So we have beautiful landscapes. We have beautiful people. They dug into how people felt about things.
1: So we do have Perry the dog in the studio mm-hmm. with us, and he is lit right now. He's, so He's very lit. <laughs> and I had to grab him like- um, By the hoodie. Like I grabbed know. him like somebody mama.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: so cute. And I'm just like trying not to play with him. <laughs> you can
2: laugh. That's and, hilarious. Uh, we have children and dogs in here, so that's all good. But the reality is is that when you see people create life on screen, and you're a creator too, it's just like, man, I'm going to do that. Yeah, And yes. so- the richness they gave ava someone was, gave ava the room to do something big and do something special and so she did it mm-hmm. and it looked good and people love it they either love it or they hate it but i love it and i'm sad that this is the last uh, season right um mm-hmm. but it's just it i had the same feeling with wakanda forever because they just used all that technology and they got they got in it and it looked great And it made me stay engaged Mm -hmm. completely. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything that the princess was doing. I mean, come on. What she was creating and her beads and her earrings. That was her communication device.
1: Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff I really like. Uh, You know, I nerded out on that. (laughs) We're going to come back to that because you're raising some really interesting points. At least, I mean, Evelyn, what about you?
3: I think for me, you know, because I'm in this interesting period of transition in my life in terms of like, what do I want to do with my energy and my life force? Yeah. And it's help, It is starting to help me ask better questions around what do I want to put my energy into and what impact do I want that to have? And then just being able to see things in the realm of possibility, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm very probably equally left brain and right brain, very African immigrant child practical mm-hmm. about got to pay my bills, got to eat, you know, got to do these mm-hmm. things. And that can kind of for me, it hampers in my creativity. And I think looking at Wakanda Forever and just the incredibleness that went into that, the entirety of the world building, the cohesion and the attention to detail, and just this ability to create this world and introduce a new part of the world. Mm-hmm. Just looking at the possibility and looking, you know, at these bigger, broader universal forces of how it's possible for things to align for you to truly be creative and truly build out the vision. And then also navigating the realities of the business and the politics behind something like that gets made. Right. And grounding in those questions. But I think overall, it just prompted me to start asking myself really deeper intentional questions. Like, how do I want to intentionally? use my energy at this point Mm -hmm. in my life because you know i'm marching closer (laughs) to like middle age rather than being in my 30s right so you know it's just it's it's an incredible opportunity to say like how do you want to use your life force? what stories do you want to tell you know how do what is it that you want to create what does it look like to build a world in which you win right Mm -hmm. so
1: i mean so you all are raising some really key points um, and also this is the reason why i wanted to have the conversation because i think that there is this very pedestrian way that critical thinking is showing up in a lot of these think pieces where we're expecting black creatives to account for every aspect of black culture which is just not possible um we're expecting black creatives to be able to account for all of the possible identities which is just not possible Mm -hmm. and we're not allowing folks to really just kind of be in the specific moment of what they're creating so when you look at the world, I said this actually probably to Hadia. I said the thing that I loved about Black Path and One, which I saw five times in the theater, was that the success of it, the way that it generated so much energy, we've always known that Black culture can move. And we've always known that Black culture can generate income, can generate prosperity for a lot of folks that if done correctly and correctly, meaning that everyone gets gets to be part of it you can do some really powerful things. We saw everybody, you know, getting their material and people getting dressed up. And, you know, there's a way that for all the black nerds in the world where cosplay, who've been cosplaying all their lives, this was like, this was a cultural cosplay event where people got to come and dress up as their favorite characters because these are people that look like them. And one of the things I've always appreciated about the first one was that in proving what it could do when you have a 98% cast of black people, you were able to highlight where the racism is. Because it was real clear in places like China, superheroes don't are, aren't black. Um, you were also able to highlight that there is a need for this and that there is value in trusting Black people to tell their own stories. And so, Ryan Coogler, when you think about what he came what, what came before this, so I think Creed was the thing that he did before Black Panther. I mean, he's really like he's miles ahead of a lot of folks now in terms of what he's able to do at such a young age, and he's very grounded in the culture.
0: Yeah, Creed Fruitvale Station. Yeah, think about you know his works based in the real world. Right,
1: he's unapologetically black, and he's walking into these Disney studios. He's walking into these to these executives saying, "You know, you know how I ride. I'm black. It's what I do." And I think for those of us who have been riding in that space of blackness, it can be a lonely place because people are always making you feel like you have to compromise if being mainstream is part of your bag and that's what you want to do. That there's some sort of compromise that you have to make, and there's always going to be compromise, but in both of these editions, I don't feel that they
3: compromise Blackness in
1: the process of what they do.
3: I think Googler is really strong at telling human stories and human narratives. And, you know, it's the, the audience that tends to racialize things. Now, Fruitvale Station, different scenario. But I think with the Black Panther series, I was looking at it through the lens of humanity and these human stories and these human emotions And just being able to go in and explore that human condition, I think something that's very healing is being able to look at a story from the lens of the human condition without all the other layers of oppression that we tend to put on things because it distorts how we understand the world and understand ourselves. And so when you're able to say, you know, this is the story that I'm going to tell and how I'm going to tell it, and you have all these different things woven into it, and people have the sovereignty to be human and driven by their humanness before the color of their skin, so to speak. I think there's something healing and powerful about that. And it's also just where I am in my own life in mm. exploring my own humanity in this life. Now, whether that was the intent or not, what I appreciate is that he's able to be a storyteller and world build. And, you know, while he has a lot on his shoulders, he's able to maybe set aside the, the pressure to be everything to everybody to just tell the, tell the story that wanted to be told.
1: Mm-hmm. And he talks a bit about that in the podcast episode. Oh, see, I didn't even Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And because it, the original script for Wakanda 2 had always included Namor. That was already going to be part of it. But it was a different story. And he talks about how it had to change once you know Chadwick Boseman died but it had already been written. Like there was already, before Chadwick Boseman died, there was a script. You know, one of the things that I thought about when I was listening to the episode was that it took me back to what happened, at least for me, when we lost Simone, when she died suddenly. And this question around what does your creativity look like when you're dealing in this grief space was really, it was hard. It was hard to figure out, like, I didn't want to do anything. You know, I didn't want to do anything. And then even thinking about her legacy and how we can make sure that the legacy of what she leaves behind doesn't die. It was there was all this internalized. No one was putting pressure on me, but I definitely felt a sense of pressure like, okay, what do we do? How do we make this happen? What you know? How do we continue this? And being able to listen to the podcast, I didn't have a pressing multi million dollar film on my shoulders to try mm-hmm. to you know navigate or a pandemic on top of that. <laughs> but there is a moment in your creative life where grief will sometimes. Like, shut down everything about what you're trying to do. And the piece of grief being kind of a, the storyline, like being the thread of the storyline, I thought was particularly important. And you said something, Evelyn, at the top of this that there is a collective grief that we have not acknowledged as societies. It was a, a, a million and some change people left this earth as a result of COVID.
3: In the US alone. In the US right?
1: alone. There is also the tertiary folks who die for a variety of reasons, whether because as a result of the lockdown, they can't, you know, get their medicine or what there's a lot of people that have died in the past two years. Mm-hmm. And we as a society have not spent nearly any time like having to to process that. And so the grief thread for me was really important. And there was something very super black about making a decision not to recast right away mm-hmm. and to just let sit in the grief. I thought mm-hmm. that was really powerful. And I wondered what you all thought about that. I thought a lot about that.
2: I am still grieving. And and it's been, let's see, it is 2022. Yes. It has been almost ten years since my dad passed, and about five since my mom passed. And there's certain things I haven't been able to move past easily. We're sitting in this lovely home, and there's things that still need to be changed and moved. And there's still a lot of immobility. Mm that I'm moving past. And yeah, there here it is for the world. There's still a lot of immobility that I know that's part of me moving through this grief process. And what I got from the movie specifically was when the queen said, look, you know, your people, your family, they're still here, right? They're still with you. And the princess was just like, nah, he's just gone. And, He's just gone and I don't know how I'm going to move through this until she figured something else out. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I must say that one of the things that I knew from the very beginning, from the end of both of my parents' life, is that they are still with me. And if there's one thing that I gathered in the last year is that this wonderful place that I'm in is full of jewels and full of wonderful things that help move me along. Right. Um. Gifts. I'm still getting gifts. Mm-hmm. Some of this box. That box over there it was a gift that is giving me a third of what I need for a documentary. Mm-hmm. A third. Yeah. So all I can say is that that's a truth that was reinforced in that movie. Basically, grief is its healing. If you allow it, um, you have to do it. And that movie really reminded me. Two or three times in the movie when, you know, all of the losses that they dealt with in the movie, how you have to let that death be a part of your living Mm -hmm. since you're still here. And it was powerful. It was a powerful reminder. And as a creative, you do get stuck. Mm -hmm. You get stuck. You have to get unstuck. You know, it's not continuous either. Right. Mm -hmm. It is not continuous. You know, I might be open. I'm like, Oh, I'm rolling. I'm pow, pow, pow. And then you go home or you go somewhere else or you watch something on IG (laughs) and you don't feel like you don't feel like you're flowing. Right.
3: So. Definitely think like ambiguous grief and ambiguous loss is a thing that we don't talk a lot about. Mm. And that those are psychological terms. There is, you know, a thing for that, where it's like, depending on what has happened, if you don't actively grieve and kind of mark an ending to your grief, you'll just be in this interesting space where you can't get Ooh. anything done. Right. So, Ooh. you know, one thing for me, like I will Google and heal. Cause I'm like, what is going on? And I think, you know, since January, 2020 mm-hmm. with Simone's transition, and then like my dad's stuff and all this other stuff, I've definitely been in a place of ambiguous grief, ambiguous loss. Like right. my creativity is, I'm like, it doesn't exist. It mm-hmm. does. Um, you know, I'm like, it's just gone. I don't know what happened. I don't want to do anything. And I think one thing that the movie kind of reminded me of is just the ritual of grieving and bringing like symbolically bringing things to a close. And they did mm-hmm. the funeral pyre mm-hmm. yeah, for the cloth to sim. You know, to cleanse the fire, to move the things, Mm -hmm. to kind of implant into your subconscious mind, like, okay, this period of grief, you know, it can end. Like, in Ghanaian culture, you know, there's a whole one week and then one year type of thing. There's an active grieving ritual, and it reminded me of that, like, okay, you know, I need, there's just some things that I need to actively grieve and bring to Mm -hmm. a close, Mm.
2: Do we know how to do that? I mean, it's so many people talk about vessel emptying, you know, (laughs) getting new vessels, having I heard that in the service today, uh, but getting new vessels so that you can fill them. You know, everybody has a trick. You know, everybody has a a way of clearing pain. See, I don't think everybody does. Oh, but they do. But they don't work for everybody. It's like you have a way you have a way you have a way. And that works for that person and that person and that person. And the other people are still figuring out out.
3: how it works for them. Society, maybe indigenously, ancestrally understand that. But let's even look at how in the U.S. the message wasn't collective grief. Let's do a ritual and honor and then move forward. It was we're just going to get back to work. We're just going to pretend it doesn't happen. You work certain jobs. You don't have bereavement leave. Right. You, They literally will ask you to work if one of your loved ones die. You right. got to choose between your job and grieving. And I think one of the important takeaways that's even come into mind now is that I don't know. I think particularly with the entire you know, Wakanda Forever team, they honored their grief in a way. And I don't know that this movie could be anything other than what it was right. in the honoring of mm-hmm. that grief. I think mm-hmm. that if they didn't honor their grief the movie wouldn't have been as good or as powerful and people still would have been calling it trash even more. So
0: (laughs) I I think they said as much of, you know, the, the the same podcast we keep referring back to. I think he says as much that, you know, if we had tried to go a different way with this, you kind of lose the verisimilitude of trying to be in that space. Right. Mm -hmm. That as much as you could try to maybe put someone else in that role and have them do try to do the role. Angela and Lupita and Denai and and everybody else involved in that like and the crew and the cast none of these people could really invest in it the same way. Right. If, if you're trying to do it with with somebody else, so you got to give yourself that that time. And so again, I think it's one of those things where where they're looking at it, making that decision that we got to acknowledge his passing. We got to write right. out T'Challa. You know, we need to honor Chadwick, who's been such a steward for this brand mm-hmm. that he was involved with this Wakanda space before anybody else in right. this project was involved in it when he right. was hired for uh civil war right you know he was the only one thinking about wakanda when they hired him to play that role you know he's having conversations with the marvel folks like right. what does wakanda look like what does it sound like what right. is... he's having all these conversations so he's he's just way too important to that to do without so i, I think you're right there there's no other way they could have done this movie without going in that direction
3: right because a bunch of people it would have been some quiet quitting on the set <laughs> I yeah. mean, I mean, if you think about mm. why, from a a work perspective or a societal perspective, we are where we are. It is some it is some sinister shit for us to have literally gone through a plate, which is still out there doing still something. Out there doing something. Mm. And the message is, fuck your grief.
0: get this back on track. Get, get back to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: And so then you're wondering why people don't have energy to give you. So last night,
0: I and I went to
1: check out. An art exhibition because, you know, he's my shadow. We just roll together. That's what we do. (laughs) Pumpkin number 10. And pumpkin number 10, for those who don't know, is eight. And he's obsessed with Michael Jackson. (laughs) And he's slightly obsessed with death. So he's always asking questions in the car about age. And he said something that was kind of shady. He he didn't realize he was being shady, but I was like, I'm not 70 years old. Like, I don't (laughs) understand what what the problem is. And I don't know why it happened when it did. But on the way to the exhibition... Where I'm supposed to help out, volunteer, and like be all excited. He asks me, he makes a comment about how we were driving by a particular neighborhood. He was like, Oh, yeah, mommy looked at a house in this neighborhood. I was like, Oh, man, imagine what would have happened if you had bought a house over here. You could ride your bikes for a house, it would be a whole thing. So we were just talking. And I mentioned to him that he's like, Well, I would love to live near closer to you, you know. And in fact, You know, when I get older, I'm going to live next to you, da, da, da. So, you know, he loves auntie. Auntie loves him. But (laughs) then he starts doing the math. He starts asking questions. So he knows I'm about to be 50, which he thinks is really old. And he said, well, when I'm 39, how old are you going to be? I was like, well, if I'm still here, I'll be 89. And he starts doing the math and he starts to freak out and he starts to cry. I'm driving. He's like, well, I don't want you to die. I start freaking out because I'm driving and I'm like. Conversation right now, and I'm on the inside. Like I am literally, you know, I've already, you know, anyone who's listened to the second episode, Morocco has done something to me. I can't put it back in the box, and I've just been trying to work through it. So I try to have really honest conversations because my mother was very honest about death is part of life; it's a natural thing. Da 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 da. One of the things I appreciated about Black Panther one was that very important conversation of if I didn't, if I do not prepare you for my death, then I've failed you. So I and I talk about this all the time. You know, and I was like, look, when I'm one of the ancestors, you'll know it's me because, you know, Auntie likes to wear the nice things that smell good. So you'll, when you see that nice, when you, when you smell that, that aroma, you'll know it's me. So we've been, t- we've talked about this. Y'all, when he started talking about like, he was like, I don't want you to die. I was literally trying to manage a car, mm-hmm. which is stick shift and <laughs> blurry tears and trying to drive through them. It was a mess. It was a mess because what we, you know, when we think about particularly as black people, how we have, found ways to make peace with death by talking about ancestral worship and it being a transition, it's not the end and really holding that space. There's still a very visceral pain that comes with the cleaving when a vessel no longer exists on this plane. And the thing that I appreciated most about Shuri's response to the deaths in her family was the anger. Because that is something that I've had to, that I've struggled with For most, like when Sophie died, when my mom died, like there's anger has been a big part of how I get stuck. I get stuck at angry. Like it's, I still haven't properly, in my opinion, processed Simone dying. I've just been angry. (laughs) And at some point I just had to be like, your blood pressure is too high. You have to find a way, like hit something, go yell at a tree, but you got to get the side of you." But anger has been the place that I've been. And what I appreciated about her response was There are moments where with everything that we believe and everything that we know, sometimes it's not enough. You know, sometimes it's just not enough. So I'm sitting there in the parking lot, freaking out, trying to calm him down, trying to calm myself down because, you know, I don't want to leave my, I don't want to leave this kid. I don't want to leave, you know, I like, I know the earth is a ghetto, but I kind of like being here and I really enjoy the relationships that we have. So I was like, you know. I said, this is why these moments are important and we have to just love each other. There's nothing as promised. I said, but I promise you, I'm going to be here as long as I can. I was like, I'm taking care of myself. I'm, I'm eating healthy. I plan on being here a long time, da 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 da. And so don't worry. But if I do go, I will always be with you. And me, we're at that age where we have to think about that. Mm-hmm. So that was the other piece. It's like, mm. I've been one,
3: <laughs> one wrong step out the bed. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: You know, we, you know, <laughs> oh, we have lost people that are our age and younger and slightly older. And so there was a moment for me where I was like, cause you know, with, when you don't, sometimes when you don't have children, your mortality, that conversation hits a bit differently. It's a bit different. I think for people who don't have children and this kid is my nephew, son. Like he doesn't even like me referring to him as my nephew. He actually is offended by that now. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting in the parking lot looking at him squatting down like listen no matter what i'm always going to be there but having to have that conversation was immensely it was powerful i was a little shook and at the same time you know for everything that we know sometimes it's not enough We're human mhm
3: and it doesn't take away the pain and the very real emotion of it right it just it just doesn't and i think there's a way that sometimes we can use our tools and things to bypass what it is. And I think that, that the anger is important. I think that, you know, this is a spoiler when they took, she took the herb and she saw who she saw Ooh, in the shout. ancestral realm. Let me tell you something. And I said, oh, this is the rage and this yeah. is the anger. And we, particularly as Black people, you know, indigenous folk, brown folk, whatever it is, we have such an unhealthy relationship with our rage and our anger and we suppress it. And then we're wondering why we we tend to suffer with hypertension and, you know, mental unwellness and all the chronic issues, all the the stress, right? And, you know, for me as someone who grew up having to suppress all manner of emotions, you know, that Being in that rage and anger, it is scary, but it can be liberating. And acknowledging it is also probably going to help you feel infinitely better. And so I think it was important that the movie touched on the transformative power of anger and rage. And then also what happens when it goes unchecked and Mm -hmm. then you have power and you have access to power. Now you can go and get some vengeance. But then what does that do? So I think... You know, shout out to whoever was doing the storyboarding for the movie because mm, the right. level of consistency in filling the story and making sure that there weren't any obvious gaps in the storytelling, mm-hmm. right, was very important from the, you know, when, who was it? My Jabbar boyfriend, you know, was, like, was like, you <laughs> know, what, what e. does, e. What does your MVP. heart yeah. tell you, right? Yeah. What does your heart tell you? And then the scene on the beach where, you know, Black Panther and, you know, my underwater boyfriend, Namor, Namor mm-hmm. <laughs> we're battling and it comes to that critical scene. And, you know, my Dukes comes from the astral plane and it's like, you know, show them who you really are. Because there was a part in the movie where she said, what does she say? The only person who knew my heart is mm-hmm. no longer with me. Mm-hmm. And then you get to that scene towards the end. And, the person who knows the heart comes through and is like, show them who you are. Right. And mm-hmm. in that heart language, so to speak, it was enough to create a yielding and a little bit of an uneasy alliance, mm-hmm. which opened the door for you
0: know, number three,
3: <laughs> number four, <laughs> maybe number five, maybe number
1: five,
0: well, you know, becomes that.
1: Well, I mean, when we think about the storyline and the way that they are navigating, we're seeing Wakanda change. The other thing that we're seeing is like, I mean, when we talk about Wakandans, I say this all the time, which irritates people, but Wakandans aren't Black. Mm-hmm. They're Wakandans. And so, oh. okay, at least you're giving me this look. This, this, what, the, do you th- what are you
0: thinking about that?
1: I mean, they're pretty Black to me. Well, I, mean, I think.
0: They haven't been through all the Black things. Right.
1: So they're racially, they're technically lowercase Blacks. Not in like a negative way, but for me, they do not have the same level of understanding of what it means to be Black in the world because they have isolated themselves. Mm
0: -hmm. They've been
1: unconquered. Right. They've been unconquered. They're not traumatized. They're not traumatized in the same way.
3: Their identity doesn't come from the layers of trauma.
1: Right. And so I think that they're arrogant as hell. Like, let's be honest. There's an arrogance that comes with Wakandans that is, you know, and and there have been conscious decisions made not to get involved in other stuff. So there is an understanding for me, like as much as I love what it looks like, I'm very clear that Wakandans aren't Black.
3: And there was a line in the movie where it was that Okoye was like, when they're talking about, the vibranium hitting more than one place. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And she said something like, Well, but what of all the fables? What of all the tales? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the entirety of oh. our oh. legends, our everything that it, this our whole thing mythology is, built right. Off right. 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 is happening. And I don't know that there wasn't a lot of time spent on that, but from a spiritual development point of view, the, one of the cruelest things that you can do to an adult is rock their belief system. Right. And I wonder if they'll, you know, if Ryan Coogler, anyone <laughs> needs a consultant on these
0: things. <laughs> if you're listening,
3: <laughs> Mr. storylining. I
2: get it. I get what you're saying. Because that's going
3: to create a shift.
2: So we're redefining right. black as we know it mm-hmm. here in America. We're redefining that a little bit. Lord knows we don't need another definition.
1: We do not. <laughs> but I get what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, so without
2: but, redefining, I get what you're saying.
1: Right. And, I, and I'm not even trying to, def- when I say that, it's tongue in cheek, but it's also meant to shake us out of this this weird place where because some of the uh so called thought pieces are operating from a perspective that Wakandans are black. They are not, which is why they can be friends with the CIA. Which is why they can make decisions. I'm not going to side with you, people who came from the water, who don't try to draw my people in, you know, who tried to strong arm me into being friends with you. You got us in trouble because people think that, you know, we did the thing that you did. You know. It's funny you say that because the CIA,
2: the US, does not treat Wakandans like they're black. This, this, mm-hmm. you see, now you're picking up what I'm putting down. You're them. absolutely correct. They don't treat them. I don't know. I don't know how that Marvel system. You like said Marvel. Marvel. <laughs> I don't know how those Marvel Americans.
1: Marvel? No, Marvel. You had on it. I don't know how
2: those Marvel Americans treated <laughs> black Americans
1: in the Marvel world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty similar you can ask killmonger well okay so can uh, you you give because killmonger's storyline in the comic as i understand it you do get to see what happens to him after his father is killed like his Mm -hmm. his rage and his anger is justified to a certain extent
0: but also comes from the fact that as he's saying in the first movie you know all this stuff was happening to your your african brethren and y'all just just sat on the sidelines right didn't get involved right didn't look out for us in any way, shape, or form. Right. And y'all just sat under your cover. Right. And flourished.
2: Right. So wait, so, wait, 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 wait. So Wakandans aren't Africans either. Well, they're in no, the they're, they're, continent. No, they're Africans. So they're, they, <laughs> they're they, on the continent. They're on geographically.
1: The continent, right. Geographically. Right. But they make a decision collectively to
3: insulate,
1: insulate themselves. themselves. So, so right. while they are bringing this vibranium into technology and, you know, fifth graders are out here coming out the womb knowing how to do calculus-
0: the mm. world around them. The whole rest of the African continent is still being killed. suffering
3: <laughs> and struggling. And, it, and mm-hmm. it it speaks to this really interesting dynamic of when you don't have the weight of trauma, who you're able to become and what you're able to create as a result. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think there's a place I want to go, but I don't have the words for it yet. Though. I mean, you see it in Shuri
1: and Riri. Mm-hmm. So Riri is mm-hmm. this brilliant black girl going to MIT, Mm -hmm. who's got the hustle, you know, do the white boys work for him and all this other stuff so that she can maintain her, so she can do her thing. She's got this dusty studio. You know, she's, you know, she's, she's brilliant, but doesn't have the resources that she can fully just focus on the things that she wants to focus on, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is, and there's a moment within the film where Shuri looks like she has met like her her little sister or something. There's there's her (laughs) spirit animal or something. And there is this excitement on seeing someone who me- who who looks like her and also has the same sort of scientific mind, right. so but there's a there's a decided difference. And what's also interesting to me, this is where Wakanda's arrogance comes in. Y'all notice how ain't no black Americans or anybody else going to Wakanda? Yeah. You, you may- okay? Go back to the scene where they they ambush her in her in her dorm room. She's like, "Y'all coming to get me? I get to go hang. I get to meet the queen." Da 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 da. That scene was important to me because what it said to me is that while Wakanda has come out and said, "Hey, we exist," right, y'all ain't allowed to come.
0: Yeah, there's there's no visas,
2: resources. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, you there. know, you all talk about the holes or the lack of holes in the story. I think that's a hole.
3: I don't think. Oh, I, I mean where a, is her it's mother a, it's a purposeful <laughs> 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 so it's a purposeful do you being.
1: know there's no <laughs> way no.
0: right they sound girl. like
1: shonda talking about lando Calrissian. like where is his mama he came from a black where? woman where is his family I'm
2: saying, yeah they're, they're, she had a whole family that sent her black behind to mit and they're but remember, she's like, they, where's my baby? She's under the water. But
1: wait a what minute. You Do you, well, wait a minute. Remember, she did ask if she could call her mom. Okay, in the movie, she does say that. What did they
0: say? They never I, asked I, the question. Ask the I question. think they were busy Whole, trying to get her out of
1: there. Yeah, because she's okay. like, Can I call my mom before I leave? She's like, We got to go now. And remember, and they're gonna say, You can go to Wakanda, girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were trying to save her, and, and this is the thing where I think the black. You know, when I say that thing about Wakanda's not being Black, I think it's interesting because it's because she's Black that they make a decision to protect her at the same time. Mm -hmm. Because remember, Namor's like, yo, I'm going to need the name and the number of the person out here doing these things. I plan on killing this person. Right, because I'm going to kill this person. (laughs) They were like, "Mm, no, we know she's Black now. No, we're not going to let you do that.
3: And she's assigned, Mm. And some more.
2: I think Mm. they decided. I think I agree. They decided to keep her. Mm Mm-hmm but i think we're writing a, sto- a new story saying well because she's black we're going to keep her
1: i think that they see this is okay so what <laughs> i need listen but the <laughs> thing is this i think what has happened is it wasn't until they saw her though right it wasn't, it wasn't until they, they saw you- her
3: like this child that <laughs> looks like us right
1: they're making a decision so this new generation is making a decision that their ancestors you. didn't make. Because they right. said,
2: go find this scientist that's right. making this so that, you know, you can turn her over so we can kill her.
3: Right. right. And remember, <laughs> right. The,
2: the spirit now, of Killmonger Killmonger
3: is with Shori in her heart. <laughs> and so, because remember from the first movie, there was all this, this the, that whole conversation around, so you're just going to leave your brothers and sisters out here suffering right. and burning. Mm-hmm. So I wonder... Granted, there is, and and they're only starting
0: that process Mm -hmm. when when um, Infinity War happens, right? Because remember, at the end of Black Panther One, you know they're starting to create a little outreach center in that uh, apartment complex in Oakland, what have you. Mm -hmm. But I think all of that got put on hold when half uh, the universe got snapped out of existence in Infinity War. Mm -hmm. Ramonda becomes queen again. She's not. She's mourning. Uh, T'Challa and Shuri being gone and just having to maintain in this world where everybody's gone. So I think all those plans to create some outreach.
1: Well, it's there because remember mm-hmm. the in the scene where they show the folks trying to go to the research center, the, off, mm-hmm. the off-grid the off one, mm-hmm. that's how the Dora is was like, oh, we got you. We're not the scientists. Yeah. We're here to you know, collect right. you. There is an understanding, There's a, at least the way I'm reading it, there is a through line between T'Challa's envision of resource centers. If we give these kids resources we can do things that way but it's a very clear understanding y'all can't come to wakanda yes we'll,
0: we'll set up some some space we're gonna set up haiti. some satellites right. <laughs> we got some places in haiti you got this place in right right, clan, right. You know? so okay you gonna, because yeah, yeah, if you yeah. come yeah
3: you're gonna bring the outside world and all the things with it and we trying to keep you know keep our peace and so i think it, it speaks to that that human nature of um protecting what you got and and i don't know it's this interesting ethical question. That I know it's make-believe and fantasy and all that, but life imitates art, imitates life or whatever, however they say it. You know, if I was put in that type of position, right? This is a question, yeah. You know, what would I do realistically? hmm and depending on the day and time of the week, it, it changes.
2: It has to connect for me or else I don't, I don't like it anymore. Okay.
3: okay. We'll talk. All right. Uh, talk to uh, us, auntie. What do you, no, I, you know,
2: I, I'm, I'm listening to your dot connection here no. No, no. Uh, with the resource centers and Haiti and all of these things and, because, you know, it was real cool, but I was just like, I knew that I left the movie. There were some loose things for me, but mm. I was just like, oh, so good. I was glossed over. But you know, now, I'm just like, I'm remembering all of those holes, and you all are plugging them, so I'm happy. But they have to be plugged.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they just don't make plugged. sense. Well, <laughs> or
2: else this is another kitty I mean- movie, and I'm mad because...
0: Um, Disney Plus is they're setting up you know they're setting up a a, a Ironheart movie yeah they're setting up a way to explain Riri some more so Mm -hmm. I think we're gonna have some more of that we need that Um, and I think that what are the the Midnight Angels are also gonna get a series Midnight (laughs) Angels yeah so all these things are happening I think uh, honestly the biggest hole in the movie to me I thought was the, the way they mourn T'Challa after he's dying, it's actually after he's dying the second time. Like, right. he's barely been back and right. he's gone again. So right. is the you've already missed him for five years. Right. You know, there's this sort of sentimentality to that that I'm not sure would be there if someone had already been gone for five years, came back for five minutes, and then is gone again. Well, we're and assuming they really the audience, didn't deal with... Yeah. And they also didn't deal with, you know, what, what happened in that time in between. How did... Uh, what kind of carry on without mm. T'Challa, without right. Shuri, with what just was going on right. in the world. Yeah,
3: with the snap. So
0: it, it,
1: I mean, I feel like there should be a whole thing dedicated to life after the snap because that in itself is it's, it's rife with all kinds of suggestions. But what we do see is Mbaku is on the council.
0: Yes, he's got more involved, and he's,
1: who I think is the real MVP, not just because he's fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, that's a it's another interesting take. You know, a, a change from. um in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, from the comic books. Is. Okay, talk about it. Uh, M'Baku, Nakia, mm-hmm. they're all actually like pretty big enemies mm-hmm. in in the comic book space. Right. Mm-hmm. So, looking at that and making those creative changes seems to all make sense. He's also Man Ape in, which is a terrible name. Terrible name. <laughs> in 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 the comic space. Right. So, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. they've made these sort of uh, smart decisions, but you know, the fact that his rivals are, you know, their rivals are kind of their friends and their allies you know, at some point, I think, uh, Nakia became like a full, full fledged villain in the comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really see that happening with, uh, with the way they're doing Lupita and having her be, right. you know, uh, the child's baby's Boiler mama. Alert. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I told, I wanted people at the beginning <laughs> to listen, <laughs> don't just stop here. If you're going to, you're going to continue on, just know that's baby. There's a baby. It's um, a baby. but you know, the oh, thing, thing that's so interesting cute. about Mbaku <laughs> that I really appreciate is that, so one of the, like there's a couple of things actually. What I loved about this this next installation it's is big that in chest. Huh?
3: Big chest.
1: And the thighs oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> the thigh meat is real. Um, sorry, Dad, if you're listening. And the carrots. Um, and the carrots. Because that
3: means long life. Long life.
1: Vegetarian, vegetarian, vegetarian. Just doing his thing. There is a way that I think Mbaku is a is a beautiful foil for the hypocrisy of certain things. And the fact that he then turns around at some point and becomes this big brother to Shuri, I think is really important. Because the thing is, Wakanda is not perfect. Like, mm-hmm. even within Wakanda, there are issues. Mm-hmm. And although everybody has their space that they play, I'm sure there are folks who, like, they don't know what they're doing up there in Golden City. Why do these people keep, you know, who, who told Ramonda to go out here and do these things? You know, there's... Mm-hmm. And when you read some of the newer versions of um, the comic where ta is writing, there, there are people who are not really happy with the way Wakanda's wealth and the classism... And the the traditions, how that all plays, and so I do think it's important that one scene where Okoye is stripped of her general her her general title. That was Ram- most
0: out of character moment in the listen. Whole movie. I was like <laughs> Ramonda was like,
1: I told you not to lose my baby, and you lost my baby. And another thing, I haven't forgotten how when your boy came in from the states and took over, you sat. I was like, ah, oh, no. so we're holding grudges, okay? No so we again. get to see. Some really interesting, like, that was a very left scene for me. Mm -hmm. And I loved it because I wasn't expecting it. And because it shows that the Wakandas are just
0: as petty as everybody else. Like, Mm -hmm. we got issues. They got issues. They just have vibranium. They'd always played Ramonda, you know, so cool. Yeah. And and so level-headed. Right. It was sort of this really sort of out of left field, Mm -hmm. out of character, like, you're not supposed to be this hot-headed. You have not been this hot-headed up to this point. But this is grief, right? So this is grief and rage. Is is and and when
1: you have power. Yeah. Her now husband's he gone.
0: Her son's Now gone. her
1: son's gone. Right. Now you know, lost my baby and I told you not to take her down the street, but you took yeah. her there anyway. Yeah. And so there's this, and whether or not it's misplaced, I think calling that point about calling Okoye out for having maintained the king's army when T'Challa, you know, she mm-hmm. walked that line of, I'm going to stick by the book. Mm-hmm. She even said, you know, that little, the, the line that Ramunda says, well, you can go see your husband, your little raggedy husband whenever you want to.
0: Right.
1: You know, i.e. he's in jail. Right? You can see his face whenever you want House to. House arrest or something. House arrest or whatever. <laughs> whatever that is. You know, right. but, but I can't mm. see my baby. And, you know, so there's this thing that they're the Wakandans are starting to show their humanity. And I think that that part is important. But I'm really clear That if Wakanda was real, a lot of us couldn't get visas to go in.
3: Even me. I'd be like, but why
1: (laughs) not? Let me tap on the door. I'm next door now. Let me Mm. come in. They would be like, nah, man.
3: Where were you born?
0: (laughs) Did you have a tattoo under your tongue?
1: (laughs)
3: You
0: absolutely cannot have that. So this works. And so,
1: yeah, I think that, that there's power in that. And I think there's also power in acknowledging that this nation that looks Black, that looks like us, has the autonomy to make decisions because they are not working from the same space of conditioning that we have to mm,
3: mm-hmm. let's talk about Kukukan.
1: yes i don't think that's how you pronounce it but I namor
3: thought, well i thought he had namor and then he had the serpent god name the serpent god name
0: I think was, they call is, him something like that U-Kuh-Kan. U-Kuh-Kan? Is I, it, i'm not exactly sure. The
1: i was watching like, a uh, mm-hmm. an instagram reel where they were pronouncing it and it was so beautiful but i was like i kept trying and i don't want to mess it up but <laughs> Submariner. mariner Let's just sub- call him Submariner. That's what they call him. But I'm <laughs> calling to him... Robert. Call no. I'm
3: going to call him... <laughs> Namor. Namor, the fish-surfing guy with the meaty thighs. The
1: beauty of this is... There's a couple things. I, I There's a sister named um, Dash. She goes by Diaspora Dash on Instagram. And I haven't still been able to access the article because she put it on the stories. And I'm like, I can't figure out what his link is. And she basically wrote an article where she said it took a Black American to acknowledge... You know, because the whole thing is that there are black people all over the world, including in, you know, Latin America. Or She has another way of saying it. And so she basically there's there's a side there's a space where folks are excited about Namor's character and about the way the entire people are presented, because Mm -hmm. there is a very clear racial issue within a lot of these, you know, Mexico and other places where lighter skinned and, you know, more European features are favored. And so there is a quote. I'll see if I can find it while you guys are hashing it out. Where she basically was like, "Ryan Coogler as a black American has done more for Afro uh, Latinidad than, you know, than anybody else has like Mm. uh, essentially by him taking his very black lens and applying it to that group of people, he's been able to kind of push back on the erasure. And I thought that was powerful. Now, Namor, our comic resident, technically
0: is a mutant, Right. Uh, the, what they're setting up with the with the winged feet mm-hmm. and his ability to uh, breathe breathe underwater, underwater yeah, breathe breathe above water, take oxygen. Yeah. So they, um, Fox or Marvel just got back the rights from Fox in in our legal world of possession of mutants. So it sounds like Namor, along with Miss um, Marvel, are like the first folks they can clearly call mutants without falling afoul of their old arrangement with Fox, where Fox. Owned all of their mutant characters. Mm. So, they can finally establish we've got mutants in this world and that mutation is just there in his physiology. So, that's how he's able to, how he's different than the other Tala is apparently what they're setting up there.
1: Okay. So, based on, just going from there, the title of her article with Namor, Wakanda Forever does what Latin media will not. Mm. Not surprising to me that it took US Black Entertainment not Latin media, to tell dignified stories of indigeneity in a major motion picture. Another quote, the role isn't important because it's a representation of Latinidad, but rather because it reflects the people, lands, and cultures that the colonization and hegemony that created Latinidad tried to eradicate. Uh, (laughs) Dr. Javier Wallace was quoted in this as saying, Black Panther had to do what Lin-Manuel Miranda wouldn't oh, do. No. Ooh,
0: so, so there's a awesome. lot of shade. Oh, there's a lot no. of
3: shade there. They mad about the
1: heights. Yeah, it's still mad about the heights. <laughs> well, I've looked
3: at that and I said, I, I have I no desire to this. see
1: it. I have no desire to see it. <laughs> it but, it you know, to. when we think about Afrofuturism, when we think about representation, it's not just in the black space. And so the beauty of what I just was watching a Ruth Carter live where she talked about the, the costuming. When she did Panther 1, there's a really great interview where she talks about how she was going to say no. She was so scared about the idea of having to create this world and the costumes and what it mm. look like. She was actually so afraid of this project. She was like, yeah, I'm going to say no. Mm. And then she thought about it. She's like, I'm going to do it. So I recently read somewhere that she was like, when they were like, okay, we're expanding the world. She's like, oh, Lord. What Here we go now. again. Right. And so she had to really, they had to work with a whole host of creatives across the board. They went to, I think they went to some of the Aztec, the, the Mayan ruins to mm-hmm. take a look. They looked at some of the artwork and the sculptures and they, you know, even the greeting that they use within that community, that was all created as part of this the wall world they're building. building. Mm-hmm. It wasn't there initially, apparently, but the brother who plays Namor, him and his Tina, cat, was yeah, it Tina Quarta? yeah. Uh, they, they actually did some research and they came to him and said, well, the Wakandans have a salute. We think... Our people should have a salute. and that's where
0: where that that
1: comes from. And so this movie is bringing together two, well, two large groupings of folks that often don't, you know, intersect unless, you know, there's there is a relationship there. And so I think the beauty of what can happen next means that it opens the door for larger major motion pictures to have larger senses of representation.
3: And I think what was cool, I think i read somewhere that the gentleman who played the shaman in the movie was also the language coach.
1: Okay. Ooh. I
3: think I read that right. Mm-hmm. And there was a picture of them at maybe the Mexico City premiere. And they were, his, he, he along with his parents came and they were in their traditional, oh, wow. you know, Yucatan clothing. And then the sister who played Nomura, what was her name? Mabels. the Sude- Am I saying yeah, her I name wrong? Um, There was an article in, I want to say, is it, what's that website? Is it com? One of those websites. And, you know, she was talking about, she, you know, she was told, you know, no one that looks like you can be a right. superhero, you know, all these things. And was speaking about right. the, just how much this movie and this opportunity meant. She was a badass in the movie. Absolutely. I said,
2: your work <laughs> Can I say something go ahead and say this some. is very interesting. we're talking about Wakanda forever, and we're talking about how Ruth Carter was uh hesitant to put all of that special something on all of the the costuming in the first movie in the second movie. She went a couple of steps over mm-hmm. just with the futuristic looks and blah 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 blah. Can we talk about Jabari? Yes. Because Jab- and Jabari just texted me. What? Oh, really? Just texted me. I and I was it. just like, wow, <laughs> here he is. You talking about, I'm coming to pick up my uh, speaker. Uh, he left the speaker over here. To so Jabari Exum. Yes, Jabari a- Exum, drummer extraordinaire. Mm-hmm. He definitely brought something extra to that movie that I think there was a level of auth- authentic that he brought that only... Um, was present because of his relationship with Chadwick. Right. Mm -hmm. They are friends. And I think that right there has brought probably the most humble person to give the most authentic representation of anything African (laughs) that -hmm. they probably initiated in that movie. Mm -hmm. He's just so, nobody says too much. He just shows up as the man's bestie or good good friend and brings so much to the movie and just comes back home, puts his drum on his back and and just chills. So, with his new sag card. With his new know? sag <laughs> card, right. So
1: you know so Jabari X, when the first one came out, um Nina Bruton and I were doing a podcast, something in regards to randomness, and we interviewed him. I need to go find that that interview because it was hello by the way. Hey Jabari mm. and so Jabari and Chad met at Howard. Mm-hmm. It was like little brother, big brother situation. Jabari Exum is a drummer. He's an actor, playwright. Uh, him and his and Baye Harrell, who were partners, Human Profits, like amazing. Jabari's always been down for everything. Down for family. Down for community. You know, he used to do this thing called Congo Square. So at the Pookie's Gallery that um, Mm -hmm. Munch would do, he would have like everybody's CD for sale. Like just really like if Wakanda was a person, it's Jabari. And when I interviewed him, when the first Panther came out, one of the things that happened was that Chad invited him to come down and he started using the drum as part of his workouts. Mm -hmm. So when he would do the, you know, the fight scenes, we do the workouts, Jabari would play the drum. So in a lot of ways, Jabari was... Like his griot, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I think I might have said that in the in the episode. And so he would he would use the drums to help him sleep. He would use the drums to help him wake. Like it was a whole, there was this understanding. And they had been vibing for a while because they would meditate together. They had these, I mean, Chadwick Boseman, he didn't look his age. So there's that piece. But I think we forget he was in his 40s when he passed. And he was in his 40s when Black Panther hit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think we forget that. But there was such a strong connection that, as a result of him using Jabari in sort of the the training sessions, all the other cast members decided, "Well, me too. Us, mm-hmm. can we get some drums? Yeah. Can we? Mm-hmm. Can we do some things? You know." And so he slowly, just from the strength of being humble and authentic, gets pulled into this family. And everyone remembers the first Panther, where you know, if you don't know who we're talking about, we're talking about the brother when they had the first Panther premiere. When Chadwick Boseman steps out of the limo, there's a drummer who's doing a drum call and doing a blessing. That's Jabari Exum. So he's in Wakanda forever this time. Um, he was part. He was considered part of the family. So when it was time to film, he was brought out. And it's really important to know that this DMV brother mm-hmm. had this very beautiful relationship and what it sparked and how far he's been able to go with it is is tremendous but he showed up at our golden city party and was just drumming with with Mm stylus just just super humble
0: um i think and i want to say it was maybe jimmy kimmel Mm -hmm. there's a scene where they, one of the interviews that he did in the run-up to wakana forever i think lupita might have talked about that Mm. um she talked about name name checked him i think if he i think Jabari's even put it on his uh timeline okay But, but literally name checked him and explained how he became sort of part of you know all their all the physical stuff that you're doing within the context of the movie as far as their training and sex so um as he's he's absolutely been getting some of uh some of the shine he so rightly deserves
1: and you know this this thing around age and when you pop and you know when it's Mm. your time is also a a big part i think of the conversation because i didn't i think i knew chadwick was in his 40s But I don't think I realized, I don't think it sunk in because it didn't necessarily look like he was 40. Mm -hmm. But Ryan Coogler made this point in the episode of the podcast where he said, you have to remember, Chadwick was in his 40s when Black Panther like hit. So this was a man who had been gunning and running and doing this thing and being consistent for decades. You know, even though we knew him as James Brown and Jackie Robinson,
0: Black Panther is
1: probably the Mm -hmm. biggest, you know, that's, that's the thing that sealed the deal for him. So it's there's so many lessons here. There's so many incredible lessons, even with the holes. <laughs> with
0: the holes, even with the holes, even with the holes. Um, is, is it worth a shout out that you know, as much as the first Black Panther movie was, you know, focused on T'Challa and you know his his amazing team of ladies that supported him. Yes, the second movie turns its focus to those women. That this, was my this next show part. Yes. Is all about
3: yes, which is why Shari. I think some people hated it. <laughs> I mean, I saw some some tweet from one of those people on Twitter. One
1: of them, saw boiled eggs, something like
3: that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want
0: to insult them and call them It's not even just oh. like Ramonda and and Nakia and Okoye. And, no, it's everyone. And Shuri, it's it's Val from uh, Julia, Julia, Julia Louis Dreyfus's character. Yeah, who's, uh, the CIA head. It's Riri. Um, so even like you know Namora, all these folks that they brought in mm-hmm. from from even these other worlds outside of Wakanda. It's sort or of like. Um, Women are definitely running the world in this movie.
1: Well, and here's the thing that I appreciate about um, Ryan Coogler, because even in the first one, the way the women showed up was really, really important and powerful. Mm -hmm. There's a way that Okoye is a general, there's a respect there, but there's also like, don't get it twisted. I'm here to tell you the truth and only the truth. I'm not here to be your friend. Like, I want you to do well, you know, but let's let's be honest about what, what works and what doesn't. And there is, you know, w- when you hear certain folks talk about the relationship between men and women, particularly on the continent, there's always this romanticization of what it looked like. And there's always, well, you know, the Europeans came in and they changed things. I was
3: mm-hmm. like, well, <laughs> I mean, it, it ain't.
1: It, yes, it, it, and, but no. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> y- if, if y'all were doing this for 400 years, how did this little, you know, two-year stint of whiteness, all of a sudden y'all just upend everything? But we're not going to talk about that right now. And what you see is the way that. The world is able to work, even on the council of elders, most of the elders are women.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know if anybody noticed that. No, I did Yeah, most of the elders are women. And there's this huge understanding that women are a very big part of the decision-making. They have to be. And even having a Dora Milaje, which are based on the Dahomey, um, so if you saw Women King, that idea of an all-female King's Guard, that's where the Dora Milaje, that's the impetus for that idea. Mm-hmm. Um you see the women operating on all levels though that's the part I appreciate you know you have the science, you have the culture, you have the ritual, but you also have the warrior, you have the leadership. so you're seeing women be fully realized human beings. so shout out to Ron kugler and the team for that because I think that that's I don't know that in the way that the original comics were written where that was obvious and I know that in the tanahisi Coates version, the women are very prevalent um throughout but the way that they show up here is one of the reasons why I think I really enjoyed the movie. And I think one of the reasons why for people who don't like it or had issues, that's part of their other issue.
2: Mm-hmm. I just think people just like to be on the other side of anything that is popular. Anything that people like, there are just those that want to pick it apart. Mm-hmm. I don't think they even have any real reasons anymore except to have an opinion that is contrary. They're contrarians.
1: Yeah, just They're for just the contrarians. Sake of being contrarians.
2: And they have entire podcasts and entire lives <laughs> just being on the other side of what's popular. And that's it. And that's that's perfectly fine, but I just don't feel like if you don't have an unresear if you have an unresearched point, then you just lip flap. And I'm not giving too much energy to that. Right.
3: Yep. Like there was one, I can't even remember the person's name, but he's popular in that contrarian type community of people who just tweet nonsense. And, you know, basically tried to equate Wakanda Forever and them not recasting T'Challa as an attack on the Black family. Ah. And I remember just staring That's at that a stretch tweet. Now. Okay. <laughs> but there was like 400 comments like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I just remember staring at that and I'm just like, I'm just gonna close mm. this now, cause I mm. people really people really that's a reach think like <laughs> this. That's a, that's well, a, but you know what's interesting big, is, big is that reach.
1: it's a, it's a reach, and there's also again. So this but is a worldview. It's a, a worldview, world but this is where okay. we the deconditioning of the conditioning needs to happen because that particular space of complaint. Because I've seen that too. Because I I went through the recast T'Challa hashtag just to see what people were saying. And I understand because even you said it, um, Eddie, when we talked or when we were texting, that when you think about how long Black Panther has existed as a character, Chadwick didn't get enough time to really flesh that character out. Right. It doesn't mean that it can't happen, but it does. But if we're honest, I would hate to be the person that has to come in on movie two as T'Challa. I
3: just don't think it's going to work. I think the way they've approached it, they've just opened the door for whoever gets into that role next mm-hmm. to have a much better time of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. However they, however they get around to doing it, I'm reminded of Superman mm-hmm. when, um, you know, Chris Reeve, he played Superman for like four movies, uh, he was paralyzed and then no one played him again for like 20 years. In right. the movies. Mm-hmm. And so I, when I was talking to you, Kat, I think the conversation was about how it's taken you know, the better part of 60 years to yeah. get the Black Panther T'Challa character to this point where it has this level of fame recognition. Um, And I'd, I'd hate to see that fade away. Right. Because, um, right. you know, we don't have, we don't have enough of these, you know, Black superheroes. Right. And so lo- losing that for a, a generation, because like, yeah, we can't have anybody else play that role, that that's the part that kind of, didn't sit great with me, and while I was in Team Recast to T'Challa for right. a while, but right. I absolutely, absolutely understand the the argument going the other way. See the
3: vision now.
0: I know I, I, I get it. Like I, I totally understand. It, you know, and, you got,
3: and you know. that
1: doesn't mean that they're not
0: going to do it, right? right. They
3: because they've be set it up it now.
0: Yeah.
1: They've so set it up to do it. Mm-hmm. They've definitely set it up. And the other piece to that is T'Challa is dead. The Black Panther is not. Right. Mm-hmm. Shuri exists, and so mm-hmm. there is. And in the original comic book. There is yes. a point where Shuri does become the Black Panther, there's so a that precedent. Yeah, so there so it's it's already there, and I think the other piece though is that um, when you think about Black women in leadership roles, when we are given space to do our thing, there's a lot of power that can be sort of you know brought together to make things happen, and so I I love the idea of that. I also love the idea because I think one of the things Wakanda Forever does do is, is it alludes to Mbaku being the king, mm-hmm. and I love the idea. Of Mbaku, like a storyline where we get to see Mbaku be the leader, because he's been in the hinterlands minding his own guerrilla business this entire time. Mm-hmm. So, what does it mean now to go from just being the leader of the Jabari to being the leader of Wakanda?
3: Eating carrots and working. Listen, God bless him.
1: God bless Winston Duke. Glory to Hunaman uh, The Food
0: and Drug Administration Listen, making Right, everybody got to be everybody
1: got to be plant based, <laughs> right? <you know?
0: laughs>
3: And so no, there's like it's here. No,
1: right. So there's an opportunity for us to really see what this world looks like. Cause it's bigger than it is bigger than T'Challa. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a blow. But I think what Kugler and the team has done is created a nice soft landing for whatever comes next. Mm-hmm. I think you could easily with the next movie have, you know, based on what we saw at the end, ten years from now, you could have the movie set ten years later mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the king comes back. Yeah. You know, it's definitely possible. Any final thoughts before we wrap this up? This was fun. I appreciate you all for hanging out with me.
0: No, thanks for yes. the invite. <laughs> to chat just, about the, the flick. Is,
1: oh yeah, Perry. we've reached a point Perry's where the, the dog puppy. and the child have now, you Back, know, okay. the, You've been the, yeah, long they've long enough talked enough. And me. so you know. I want to thank our my guests, Eddie Smith, Bushhead Ed, Bush. Elise Perry, and Evelyn Hello. Bando. We will have all Welcome. the links to all their pages so you can follow them and gain more from their wisdom and insights. And Perry the puppy. And Perry, the puppy and IO, the pumpkin. Um, We really appreciate you listening. Thank you very much. We are out because this culture ain't gonna make itself. See you soon. Take care. Thank you for listening it means a lot to me just wanted to let you know that cat's corner the podcast is produced by Alo Sosa productions and edited by Aileen andrada of your pod but if you'd like to follow us you can check me out at cat's corner co k-a-t-s-k-o-r-n-e-r-c-o on all platforms and lsp underscore on the go tune in next time for another edition of As always, we appreciate your listen. Don't forget to like and subscribe so that you can be updated as new podcasts come in.
0: Take care.